Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. Have you ever had that experience, okay, if you're anything like me, you like looking things up online, Um, but the hyperlink experience, where you're reading an article, you're checking out a fact, but something else catches your attention halfway through that process, and you click on a hyperlink, and you go somewhere else, and then you're having fun researching that, and you're enjoying looking that up, and then all of a sudden, something else catches your eye, and it's underlined and it's in blue, and you click on it, and you're taken even further away. Um, I do that loads when I'm looking at football stats. I have to be honest with you. There's just something about me that loves knowing footballers' histories, their goals-to-game ratios, how much they were signed for and sold for, and what games they played in. And I love looking that sort of thing up. But inevitably, I will end up on something not to do with football as I chase those hyperlinks through. I'll see the name of a place and I'll wonder where that is or I'll see the name of a, of, of, a, of a figure who they've related to or something like that and I'll click there and all of a sudden the internet has taken you somewhere far, far different to where you expected to be in the first place. Well, today we are looking at a passage, the second half of Mark chapter 6 and I genuinely think that if we've got eyes to see, ears to hear, it's a little bit like that. We, we can have this hyperlink experience where Mark very deliberately describes the events, describes the things that Jesus was doing, the way people reacted, the things that he said in order to flag up things in our minds, in order to provide us with hyperlinks to jump elsewhere in God's word um, and to fill out the story, if you like. Um, and that's something that actually we should acknowledge and know when we read all of scriptures, uh, when we read any part of the Bible, uh, none of it is supposed to be understood in isolation. We had a famous phrase in Amford Evangelical Church a while ago that a text taken out of context, if you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con, okay? And you can literally write that down. Take the text out of context, left with a con. Um, and we can think about that in terms of, you know, well, the context of a passage is the um, place where it happens um, and the paragraph before and after, that sort of thing. Well, actually, anywhere you come in the Bible has a context of the rest of Scripture. And that there are themes, there are places, there are actions, there are people who are supposed to show us uh, something of who God is, who we are, and the the relationship that exists in between by the repetition that occurs in Scripture. And sometimes, like we will find, I hope, in Mark, the second half of Mark 6 this morning, um, those hyperlinks can really illuminate what is going on for us. So, this is going to be my plan of action for us this morning. We're going to read some stories, uh, familiar stories, I guess. Nobody here, I imagine, 
has gone through their life without hearing the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Nobody has gone through their life without hearing the story of Jesus walking on the water. They're familiar stories to us. We're going to read through them. We'll pass a few comments as we go, but we're going to save some of those hyperlinks that appear, some of those places, those words, those images, those ideas that make us want to jump elsewhere in Scripture and see when we get to the end of the story whether there is somewhere really important that we can be looking to really understand what is going on in these stories. Uh, spoiler alert, I wouldn't start this unless I thought there was somewhere special for us to look. So you don't have to wait with that bated a breath. But we'll start uh, in verses 30 and to 34. So remember the last couple of weeks we've been uh, building our way up through Mark. Last week in particular, we were looking at this idea of authority and how Jesus had such authority that when he sent out his apostles, when he sent out his closest followers uh, and gave them authority, they were able to do the things that he had commanded them to do. And we pick it up, verse 30 is when they kind of come back from that uh, missionary adventure that Jesus has sent them out. So verse 30 reads, The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, I just want us to pause there and notice just this love and this concern that Jesus has for people. Um, you might come this morning as a Christian, even as someone who is not a believer in Jesus, and your picture of God, of Christianity, of our relationship and how we live and act is that God is a God who's constantly telling us to do things and to not do things. He's one who's got these orders that he barks out, and our job simply is to follow that Jesus has told the disciples, go out and do this job. If you remember back in the first half of chapter 6, it was a difficult task. There was this prospect of them facing opposition, of not being accepted. And sometimes we can think, well, that's how God and Jesus relate to us. They tell us, they give us all these jobs to do. They uh, give us a list of things that we have to stay away from. And basically, all we can do is try and keep them happy. And we miss out this part of the relationship, which really is the bigger part of it, of how Jesus knows us and loves us and cares for us. We're not just disposable people to God. The disciples who Jesus had invested so much time, so much love, so much energy, would invest so much blood and sweat and tears in. He cared about them. And when they came back from this hard work, he, he saw them and he wanted them to have rest. I just think that's, that's lovely, isn't it? To think of, of God not just as this teacher or this manager in the sky barking orders, but somebody who actually cares about us, body and soul. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them. This is something you come on Wednesday night, you read through Mark constantly. They can't get away from people because they just see them and know them and want to be around them. They recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Um, 
Another thing just to, to mention here is when you hear about Jesus having compassion on a crowd, what do you expect him to do? Now, there are other points, there are other places in the Gospel of Mark, so I'm not trying to make this whole big picture by any means, but you expect him to care about their sicknesses, their problems, their issues, their kind of their physical lives, what's going on. It is fascinating to me that here, when Jesus sees this crowd, like sheep without a shepherd, has compassion on them, the way that he demonstrates that compassion is to teach them. Do you ever think that we kind of divorce head knowledge, our belief systems, truth, sharing that, helping one another come into truth? We divorce that, and we think that in some way that's an unloving thing to pass on. The most loving thing we can do is just to meet people's needs, just to be there with them and care for them and feed them and to clothe. And Jesus does all that, and he instructs his followers, he instructs us to do all that. But let's not make up this picture or this idea or this image where sharing the truth, I presume that he preaches to them the truth of the, the kingdom of God come near, of him as the king, of their need to repent and to believe and to trust in him. To think that sharing that is not a compassionate thing to do. Jesus had compassion on the crowd, and so he taught them. I mean, we could spend an hour on that even, but we won't. The first hyperlink that we see in this section, even before he gets to the feeding, is this. The hyperlink of the shepherd. It's a really interesting phrase that uh, Mark decides to use here about Jesus looking at the people and having compassion. He says he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And if you've spent any time in the God's word in the Bible, you'll know that shepherds are everywhere. Um, it should make more sense to us in Wales as a nation that has many sheep, but I still don't think we really get the whole idea of a shepherd. But there are some famous characters in Scripture, aren't there, that we just know were shepherds. Moses, for 40 years before he led the people, he served as a shepherd. David, who we looked at in some reasonable depth when we were going through the book of 1 Samuel, before he became a king, and even while he was kind of in the transition to being a king, was a shepherd. There are other places in Scripture where the relationship between God and his people are described as the shepherd and his sheep. And if you've ever read through the book of Ezekiel, one of the biggest chastisements that Ezekiel the prophet um, reveals God giving to the leaders of Israel is in them being bad shepherds to the people. That they are shepherds who are not caring for the flock, but they're abusing the flock and damaging the flock. Um, and there's a wonderful promise that God is going to come as a shepherd, will feed his sheep, will tend his sheep, will care for his sheep. We think of things in the New Testament as well, don't we? The idea of Jesus being the good shepherd. So there's loads and loads of places, just this one phrase that he uses... Jesus looked at them and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd that could get us clicking on links and flying elsewhere. And we will follow them. But it's important to see and it's important to note that that's not just a throwaway phrase, is it? That in the scriptures, in the Bible, this is teaching us something really important about Jesus, the people, and what happens between the two of them. Okay, that's the first hyperlink. Let's move on to the next story then. 
uh, verses 35 to 40. So Jesus is teaching this great crowd because he's got compassion on them, because he loves them. By this time, verse 35, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. And this is what they say. This is a remote place and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Um, it's almost like they're saying, I, I guess what I was saying, our reaction might be, oh, Jesus, if you really care about these people, better send them away now because they must be starving. They've been listening to you all day. They've, they've run to get you. They probably haven't brought the provisions that they need. Set, show, a little, show a little bit of compassion. Show a little bit of love and care. Wrap this up. Sammy, if you're, a, if you're a good pastor and a preacher, you'll make sure that the sermon is short enough so that we can go home and not burn our lunch and things like that. Show a bit of care and compassion and love. You can't fault them, really. They're showing care and compassion themselves, aren't they? But this is Jesus' surprising answer. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So what do we to see from this story? Well, if nothing else, it's, a, it's an extra demonstration of Jesus' miraculous power, isn't it? There's a sense in which we could be getting bored of this in Mark's gospel so far. He's been casting out demons. He's been raising um, people who are paralyzed and letting them walk. He's been healing lepers. He's been um, dealing with withered hands. He's, um, what else has he done? Calming storms. Um, uh, healing that woman just with a touch of his cloak. Uh, the dead girl raised back to life again. Feeding 5,000 people from a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. There's a sense in which it's like, yeah, Mark, we get it. Jesus is powerful. Like we're dealing here with someone who is in control of dot, 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 everything. We get that. At the very least, we should continue to see that and continue to be struck by it. How about the idea that Jesus goes beyond giving what we'd expect? There's a little food to begin with. He doesn't just feed them, but everybody has food and there's less leftovers. Surely there's a lesson there for us into the type of love, the type of grace, the type of power that is at work. It's not exhausted, but it is overflowing. It is abundant. There's so many, so many treasures in there, little gems that if you have spent any time in the world of church, you've cured them, you've enjoyed them. If you haven't, Please go away, look at them, chat to me, chat to another Christian, whatever it is. There's so much to be had out of here. But I want us just to note that flag up the second hyperlink of the feeding P 
people and the fact that it's bread. Um, in the Old Testament, God is known as the one who feeds his people. That's like a title or a name that is given to him at points. He is the one who gives. He is the providing God. Um, but especially we see it in the story of the Exodus. When the uh, people come out, they're slaves in Egypt. They're delivered out of it wonderfully. They're being taken towards the promised land. And how does God feed them? How does God provide for them? Well, it's a miraculous food called manna. It's described as bread from heaven and quail, uh, something else on the side. Uh, you throw in there the fact, even in those stories, it's always more than enough. He has to command the people, don't take so much of the manna and the quail that is there um, uh, that you might need it tomorrow. Implication being that there is extra about. He wants them every day to go and to take and to depend on him. It, there's just an abundance. So this idea of, of God being um, feeding God and the bread, it, it's supposed to, as we come to it in our minds, um, kind of light little fires, have little alarm bells going off, give us hyperlinks to go elsewhere and to think things about God, to go to those categories and those events and to wonder why on earth or how on earth Jesus fits into them as well. So we've got shepherd, we've got feeding and bread, Let's carry on to Jesus' next miracle, verses 45 to 52. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd and after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Um, we've not made a big deal of this so far going through Mark. And I know that it's frustrated Wynne Jones. I don't know, I can't see him where he is. No end, because this is one of his favorite things to think about as we see Jesus living life in our world. But Jesus kind of practiced spiritual disciplines. He practiced making space, making time to pray, to meditate on the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. He expounded the scriptures. Um, this isn't the first occasion in Mark where Mark has pointed out Jesus went somewhere to pray. If you want to know more about that, by all means, speak to Phil Mayring. I've heard him speak on, um, he's there, IFL, shout out, on this a couple of times. You've really thought this through about how it shows us the real humanity of Jesus, that he is someone who needed to pray. But more than that, it shows us our need to pray, doesn't it? If Jesus had to pray, how much more a slot? Think about that. Go away, chapter Phil, chapter Win, chapter me, whatever it is. Verse 47, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. I mean... Sometimes we can cherry pick the disciples' reactions to situations and we can tut. Shouldn't have been doing that, should they? You know how miraculously powerful he is. How can you doubt? How can you question? I mean, I think here is a situation where, fair enough, you would be a little bit terrified when you see someone who is A, walking on water, but B, there's something more going on here. It says that they saw him and he looked like 
a ghost, a spirit of some description. Was his appearance different? I think it was. Was he unrecognizable? No, but it was enough to like really challenge their, their thinking and their concepts. And there's a hint in the passage about how Jesus was looking to them, how he was displayed, and it's in that phrase, passing them by. Now, this is a hyperlink, okay? This is a hyperlink somewhere else, but I desperately wanted to speak about it as we got to it. And um, that whole picture, that whole idea of passing by is something that crops up time and time and time again in the Old Testament when God is revealing his glory to people. So here, it's the glory. It can't stay with them because that would destroy people, but it can pass them by. People can have a glimpse. And so Mark, you, you think, you're reading the story and, you, and you're wondering, Jesus was about to pass them by. Does that mean like he'd overshot or that he wasn't going to stop and it was only because they cried out to him that he decided to stop? No, no, I think this is Mark's way of describing that here is Jesus and he looks different. It's, it's him revealing his glory to his disciples. He's about to pass them by and they're terrified by it. Immediately he spoke to them and he said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Verse 52 really, probably, I think, throws like a, a bomb into both stories. Because we can come with our own kind of understanding, our own lessons to learn from the feeding of the 5,000, can't we? We can come with our own understanding and our lessons to learn from the walking of the wa on the water. But verse 52 says that they're the same lesson, apparently. That something is going on. They're terrified. They hadn't understood about the loaves. And that in some way connects the two stories. Like As you're reading through those stories, do you have any hint or suspicion that somehow understanding the feeding of the 5,000 will sort out what's going as Jesus walks on the water. They just seem totally unrelated, don't they? But here's Mark's comment. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Oh, that's such a, such a description of them. Their hearts were hardened. Again, right the way through Scripture, hard hearts, soft hearts are such a big theme. Like Pharaoh, yeah, hardens his heart. God hardens his heart. That's the guy who's like chief oppressing and opposing God. Like the rebels in the wilderness who face judgment, they had hardened their hearts. Like what Jesus warns us about in Mark's gospel, do not harden your hearts. Have eyes to see, ears to hear. Don't push me away. It's a very, very strong description. But here's the hyperlink I want anyway from this story, and it's the I am hyperlink. Now, it's not too clear in Mark's gospel. If this was the gospel of John, we'd latch onto it straight away because we know famously John uses these I am sayings to paint a picture of Jesus as God incarnate. But did you, did you notice what he said? He climbs into the boat. No, he's about to climb into the boat, and he says, take courage, it is I. I've got no idea why the NIV translates it, it is I, because elsewhere it translates that exact phrase as I am, I am. 
as the name that God gives to Moses as this magnificent revelation of who he is. I am. Again, like I say, in John's gospel, we pick it up. We latch onto it. We make a big deal of it. We even did a series in church about two and a half years ago, looking at the I am statements of Christ. I am, I am, I am, I am. Here is Jesus saying, I am. Okay, that should be a hyperlink for us about what's going on. So we're working our way through these stories, okay? Um, It's just Jesus caring for people. It's Jesus feeding people miraculously. It's Jesus walking on water. And there are things that we're supposed to be taking note of. And they're inspiring is probably not the right word, but kind of fueling us in our understanding of what Mark is getting at. The idea of Jesus being a shepherd. The idea of Jesus feeding and specifically bread. Jesus standing on water and declaring to his followers, I am. And then I'm going to chuck two more in. I didn't make a big deal of them, but they're there. They're they're, they're odd things for Mark to include. That when he gets the people in the crowd to sit down, it's green grass. Sometimes we'll latch onto that and we'll say, well, here is proof, really, that Mark is telling the truth. Because if he's making it up, he wouldn't bother adding the color of the grass. Or Jesus is asleep on the boat. And, And Mark comments, he was lying down on a pillow. Now, isn't that wonderful? We can all trust Mark. Oh, it's coming. I thought that was uh, doing it on its own. This is Aled helping us out. Thank you very much. We can trust Mark because he includes these details that he doesn't have to, but he's telling a story of his experience. And like we do when we're telling stories, we chuck in all manner of extra details that people don't care about, that aren't necessary, but we do them because we're reminiscing and we're reminding ourselves. Maybe that's true. But I think the green grass is important and the calm water. The fact that the, the disciples were straining at the oars, that picture of there being some kind of chaos around them. Not the same sort of storm they were in in chapter 5, but some sort of chaos nonetheless. End of chapter 4, beg your pardon. But he says, when it gets into the boat, there's calm water. So where are all these headings? Because for each one, we could click on it and we could see, well, if you've got Bibles with footnotes and references, if you've got an app that will kind of like highlight different texts you could go to, they're all over the place. These will have tens, twenties, thirties, hundreds of links if you've got a good enough concordance. Is there somewhere where these ideas come together of a shepherd who feeds, of the Lord I am green grass of calm waters. Well, I think there is. And I think it's Psalm 23. Again, just a really, really familiar psalm to us. I'm going to read it to you now. And it's from a translation you're probably not too familiar with. But I've done that deliberately just so that the words stand out to us. And I just want us to be thinking about these hyperlinks, these things, these ideas, these situations, these Um, categories that Mark has been introducing in these two stories, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, and what he's trying to get over to us. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. 
He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. What do we do with all that? Well, I want this this morning, if we have eyes to see, to see. If we've got ears to hear, to hear. Jesus really, really wants us to understand who he is. So much more even than I want you to understand who he is. So much more even than Mark wants you to understand who he is. Jesus desires that you move from the darkness and ignorance about him into the truth, into the light. Do not harden your hearts as you hear these stories. Do you remember when we were thinking about um, the unforgivable sin, the story, the tale of the stronger man, of how people were coming and they were seeing the things that Jesus was doing, and they would make up all manner of lies, more complicated far less believable scenarios and situations to explain him away. They harden their hearts. Don't come to these stories and do the same thing. It was comical this week as I was in my commentaries um, reading some of the ways that people have tried to pass these stories off. Of the feeding of the 5,000. Genuinely, this is one way a commentator at the start of the 20th century tried to, to deal with that because they didn't like the idea of miraculous things happening. Um, that Jesus was teaching near a cave, um, near a cave, and that he'd figured it out with his disciples that there would be a store of bread and fish in the cave. And when it came time to feeding the crowd, they kind of made one of those lines where you pass the bread and the fish like that along the line, along the chain, to Jesus. And if by magic, out of his cloak, out of his robe, every time there was another basket and another basket and another basket. You have to make up so many extra details to believe that. Or there's the other idea, it's a really famous idea, that when somebody gave up the loaves and the fishes and said, I'm willing to share it with everyone, that kind of gave courage and galvanized the spirit of the crowd and all of a sudden everyone who was worried well if I get my sandwiches out now I'll have to share them but eh, okay well I guess I'm willing to share to the extent where they were leftovers it's just not there in the text to believe any of those things you have to go away on your own and dream dreams and imagine things you've got to harden your heart in order to avoid what Mark is saying what is just plain in front of you, that Jesus is powerful and miraculous. Don't do that. Don't do that. Another commentator speaking about Jesus walking on the water. Ah, well, here's what happened. There was a sandbank going out, and Jesus just walked on that. Like, why, why make that up? Why add that in? I mean, it, again, it, it doesn't make sense. They, they'd rowed, they'd sailed across this lake, plenty of times in Mark's gospel. 
they were, many of them, fishermen. It was their trade. They'd have known exactly where sandbanks were. The fact that there are no sandbanks in the lake anyway is just adding to the noise. You can, if you want, fail to see. You can, if you want, explain Jesus away in any manner of ways. But you've got to work hard to do it. What Mark wants us to do, what I want us to do, what Jesus wants you to do is just to see him and to understand who he is. You want to see that he, that he is God. That he is the God who provides. That he is the God who blesses. That he is the God who fills. That he, if you followed all the way to Psalm 23, is the one who invites us into his own home and into his own family. We're going to sing Psalm 23 now together and then we're going to move into communion. We're going to just think about this and how, how this seeing and understanding Jesus is really an important thing and a powerful thing in our lives. hope that you found today's message useful and challenging and we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss if you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church make sure to like us on Facebook and lastly check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts Thanks for listening.